As we mentioned last week with the, when we began our study here on the study of Noah, Genesis 6, 7, 8, and even 9 are one continuous thought. You could even probably throw in chapter 10 there. So I don't know how far we're going to get here. Last week we kind of stopped around verse 8, so we're going to start picking up around that verse 8, verse 9. I really don't know for sure, like I said, how far we're actually going to get when it comes to this. Because tonight's actual study is about the actual physical ark itself of Noah's ark. It's a fascinating, fascinating study. And as we get into this, Lord willing, time willing, we'll actually get into the flood itself tonight. If not, we'll get into the flood next week. And then in the next couple weeks, we're going to build up to the point of what was life like after the flood as well. So with that being said, we left off... Right around verse 8 of last week. Now, I'm not going to do a full recap of the first eight verses. To sum it up very simply put, the world was in an awful state. An awful state that was so bad that God decided the only way to fix this is to almost start over, if you will. And so he gave man 120 years, verse 3. And he basically said, I'm going to then destroy the world with a flood. And Noah and his family were saved through this. Now, it's going to be Noah and his wife... And their three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, and their wives. So a total of eight people are going to be on the ark. Verse 9 says, This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. That kind of sums up where we're at with last week. The earth was bad, needed to be judged, and Noah was saved through this. Now, it's kind of interesting in verse 9, and I meant to get to this last week. It was the back of my head. We ran out of time, and I couldn't make this point. Some people believe that that phrase there in verse 9 where it says that Noah was perfect in his generation, some people actually take that to mean that it's a literal. That Noah's generations, his genealogy, was in good shape. If you remember our study from last week, there was possibly this cross-mixing of the different races there that we talked about. And when I say races, I don't mean races of people, more of the spiritual and the physical. And if you're not following what I'm saying, I encourage you to get the CD from last week and you know what I'm talking about. So some people believe that that verse 9 means that Noah was not intermixed in that in any way whatsoever. But the point is this. Noah was signaled out by God. His three sons are going to be their wives. Total of eight people. The earth is bad. Flood is coming, verse 13, and God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you should make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You should make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set on the door of the ark and its inside. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Let's stop there for a second. Dustin, you want to go on to bring up the PowerPoint here? We've got some things we want to kind of go for. This is kind of just a little basis of what we've studied here to give you an idea. 300 cubits, 30 cubits, 50 cubits. Now, the interesting thing about a cubit is we don't know how long it is. Most people believe it's about 18 inches. What a cubit literally means is the distance from your elbow to your hand here. Well, everybody has different distances from their elbow to their hand. Some people, it comes out to be 20-some inches, some 18 inches, whatever. Most biblical people, when they talk about a cubit, use 18 inches. So with that being said, can you go to the next slide here? With that being said, you can get a feel here for how big Noah's Ark is. It's pushing 500 feet. Just to put in perspective... 
You can see some different ships up there. Queen Mary in the background there. Queen Mary II, that's the big cruise ship. You can see the Titanic. The Wyoming was the largest wood ship ever built. And you can see the good old Santa Maria of Christopher Columbus. So Noah's Ark, you can kind of get a perspective there on how big this ship is. Now, that's a big ship. This is also part of the reason why God gave Noah 120 years. It's going to take a while to build this thing. So this is not something you're going to throw together overnight. This is a very large piece of equipment that was going to be built. Next slide, please. So this is just one artist's interpretation of how it is. And you can kind of see here the 510 feet by 85 feet, 51 feet high. Once again, depending on how big you say a cubit is, depends on it. Some of your translations are going to come out and say 450 feet by 75 by 45 it doesn't really matter. We're talking the difference of feet here. It just depends on how long you say that that cubit is. Now, we need to talk a little bit. Can you go to the next one real quick? We need to talk about how this ark actually looked. Now, this one, the artist makes it look more like a box. If you can, go back one real quick, guys. This one, they make it look like a ship. I personally like the way that one looks. I think that looks cooler. But if you go to the next one, it's more usually looked like this. The truth be told, when you study this out, we don't know how it looked. This ship was not built and designed to ride the waves of the ocean to cross from point A to point B. This ship was designed to just ride the waves and float and wait. It wasn't designed to be a cross-ocean traveling ship. This was a box designed to keep people safe. Practically speaking, what did it look like? We don't know for sure. We can see. We got some details here. Let's go back, if you will, to verses 14 through 16. This is what we can tell from this. It had rooms inside of it. Now, some of your translations may actually use the word nests. That word is not rooms. It's actually nests. When you think of rooms, you think of these nice cord-off little areas with gates. This was mainly used to transport animals. So it's more of this nesting type area, if you will. It was covered inside and outside with pitch. This is a waterproofing agent, obviously. Now, verse 15, we've gone over the size of it. Verse 16, it has a window. This word for window literally means plane of light. A lot of people believe it's like almost like a skylight. If you can see on this one, it's hard to see. That top part, some people believe that it actually was open to allow air ventilation... And to also allow light to come in. I've even, some people have this understanding that they thought it could be opened and closed. Because if you look at it where it says, verse 16, you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. Some people believe that actually God designed it that Noah could go in and shut and open these things for air ventilation and for light to come in. It had three stories. So obviously a lower, a second, and a third deck. Now I'm not great at math. But I can figure out the area of this. If you take those three decks and figure out the area, you're talking a ship that has basically the size of about 100,000 square feet. Now, if you're like my wife, that means absolutely nothing to you in any way whatsoever. So, to put in perspective, let's just say the sanctuary here, uh, let's call it 40 by 80. This would be about 3,200 square foot. So you can put this in perspective then. If we're dealing with something about 3,200 square foot here, we're now dealing with something that's 100,000 square foot. 100,000 square foot. One uh, commentator put it this way. It'd be equivalent to about 520 boxcars on a train. Now, we live in a lot of areas with trains. Next time you are stopped by a train, start counting the boxcars. Imagine a train of 520 of them. This is a very large ship. Can you go back to that slide where it compared the sizes of the different ships again real quick? You can kind of see here 
this idea of how big this thing is. So, like I said, if it's pushing 500 feet, that's a lot of space. Three decks filled with these little rooms, these little nests. It's got an area up top. This is a big ship. This is something that's designed to be practical. It's designed to just survive the water out there. And God's going to fill this thing up. He's going to fill it up with food. He's going to fill it up with animals. And there's going to be eight humans in it. So that is the practicality of what we are dealing with here. The size of it, the scope of it, the square footage of it. We'll get into some more details here as we go on. Anybody have any quick question and comments on the practicality of just the ship itself that was built and what it means and represents? Yeah, Ryan. And it's an interesting thing. And I encourage you, as you study this out, you can get online and find all this type of information as we get to, as Ryan was referencing there, when the, when the boat landed on Mount Ararat, about some of the stuff that's supposedly been seen and some of the stuff that's supposedly been found. And it's a fascinating thing. I mean, and I tell you, here's the thing about Noah's Ark. When you first hear the story, it sounds crazy. Let's just be honest. It sounds crazy. Here's a guy. We already know he was 500 years old when he started this thing. So a 500-year-old man. I mean, no one's any good after 60, and now he's 500. And so this 500-year-old man is going to build this boat. He's got a wife. There's nothing about the wife helping, nothing new there. And so there's this idea here. And if you study this out, he didn't even have kids yet at this time. The kids weren't even born. So this guy is 500 years old, building a boat, and also has three children. So this is kind of a crazy story. It takes him about 120 years to build this thing. And then as you study this out, supposedly all these animals get on there. They're going to survive this thing for about a year. It's crazy. But you know what? It's a great picture of faith. It's a great picture of God's hand. And I tell you this, if you want a fun study, study out how the ark represents salvation. It's a neat, neat picture. It's a real neat picture. So my point is this. When you put this all together... The practicality of this, and just like Ryan was mentioning there, the practicality on the square footage of this, the design of this, it really would work. It really honestly would work when you study this out. This is not just some crazy idea this guy has a boat with animals. This is planned out, and we're not even into some of the planning yet here. This would actually work the way God intended it, and that's the beauty of this. Yes, it takes faith to believe this, but God also put enough information in this. As you study this out, you can stop and you can say, yeah, I could see that actually working. It's a fascinating thing. Anybody else have any quick questions about the actual physicalness of the ark? Ryan. Mm-hmm. I think God spoke to him audibly. Um, you know, this one pops up a lot when, when we deal with stuff in the Old Testament where it says that the Lord spoke to David, the Lord spoke to Moses, etc. Do I think that the Lord spoke to Noah audibly? Um, I don't know. How's that for an answer? Um, there's times in the Bible where it says that the voice of God was audible for certain situations. You know, I'm not trying to sound crazy here. I believe that there's times where the Lord speaks to me. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I think there's times where the Lord said, James, I'd like you to do this. So I guess, do I think that Noah and the Lord sat down and Noah heard an audible voice and he took notes? My personal opinion, and 
I don't mean to make an argument with anybody. I'm going to say probably no to that. My personal opinion is I think this is something the Lord laid on his heart. And as the Lord laid this on Noah's heart, he was obedient to be obedient to it. That's just my personal opinion. But who was it? Was it Abraham or Moses where it says that the Lord spoke to him face to face like a friend? Moses. And also Abraham himself too when God came down and spoke to him before um, Sodom and Gomorrah. So there is examples of the audible voice of God speaking. I'm just going to be honest, as I read this, I kind of look at it as this the Lord moving in Noah's heart. That's just my two cents. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Marv. I probably thought they thought Noah was crazy. Um, I'm, I'm going to say, I think when... When you really study out not just the physicalness of Noah's Ark, when you study out what Noah's Ark represents, Noah's Ark represents the world as we're dealing with right now. As we mentioned last week, Jesus, when he referenced Noah, he referenced the time of Noah. And at the time of Noah, the world was completely, utterly insane. It was, and it's very reference to what it is supposed to be like today. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So I guess when I look at Noah, I look at Noah as being the one guy that says, Thus saith the Lord, and the world doesn't want to hear it and doesn't want to listen to it. And I look at it as Noah being the one that was mocked, made fun of, looked down upon, and thought it was ridiculous. So I guess my personal opinion is, what did Noah's uh, sons and laws think? I think they probably thought Noah was crazy. Now there's not a verse to back that up. I think most people probably did not listen because I firmly believe if someone did listen, if someone did say, I believe in Jehovah and I believe this flood is coming, I don't think God would have let them perish. So I believe that there was eight people that bought into this message, saw the vision of it, and those eight people were saved. So Noah's sons, in-laws, I'm going to say they rejected it. Kathy. There was never a Right. We don't believe at this time that there had been anything like we have rain now. Because what we're going to get to in a little bit here is God opens up the heavens. What we're going with is what it says back in the beginning of Genesis, that there was a mist that watered the earth. So yes, as we mentioned last week a little bit, even the idea of this flood is kind of a crazy idea. You know, if I would come to you and mention floods, well, you at least get a picture of this. If you'd go back to Noah's time when he's building this boat and he's talking about this great flood that's going to cover the whole earth, that would be ludicrous. So, you know, this is a, this really to me is the more you study out Noah, and, and maybe we should have gotten more into this tonight than more of the practical, Noah and the ark is really a picture of salvation. It really is a picture of salvation. And if you want to be saved, you better get on the boat. And that's really what it is, because Peter talks about this, eight souls being saved through the ark. And so really, Noah is a picture of one man that makes a stand for the Lord. Those that want to listen are saved. Those that choose to reject are cast out. It's a picture of salvation. Surely. Yeah, if they were willing to, you know, go with Noah and the boat and to basically cut that tie, obviously, because there's going to come a time and a place. And like I said, we may not get into it tonight, but it starts at the beginning of uh, chapter 7, verse 1, when the Lord says to Noah, come into the ark. Okay, that's a decision time right there. If you study this out, Noah gets into the ark and he kind of hangs out in the ark for about a week before the flood happens. 
Now, put yourself in that perspective. You're getting in a boat, and I'm going to just kind of dramatize this a little bit. You're getting to the boat, and it's sunny. It's blue skies. I assume Noah got into the boat and said, guys, it's time. And for seven days, people looked at the crazy man in the boat. Do we not feel that way as Christians? I mean, I've been saved for 20 years. I've been telling people for 20 years, Jesus could return at any moment. I'm the crazy guy in the boat. He could come at any time. But there comes a time and a place where you got to decide, am I getting in the boat or am I not getting in the boat? So Noah and his household got in the boat, and seven days later, that's when it began. So yeah, Shirley brings up a good point there, that there has to come a time and a place for all of us where we have to decide what's more important to me, my relationships with my friends, family, co-workers, etc., or my relationship with Christ. I just talked to someone on the phone today, and we quoted that verse where Jesus said, Do not think I came to bring peace to the world, but a sword. Jesus said, I came to bring division. Any one of you that's been walking with the Lord for a while, you know the stronger stance you make with Christ, the more divided you become in your family. It it just is the truth. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you realize there's going to be relationships that are torn because you can't compromise on Jesus. It's the same thing with Noah's Ark. There is no middle ground. You either in the boat safely, and the Bible says in chapter 7 that God shut the door, or you're out of the boat and the flood. So, yes, Noah, his sons, their wives, they all made a decision to get in the boat, and they didn't care what anybody else think, and they were obedient, and they were saved. Jeff? How did you get all the animals? Well, we'll get to that in a little bit, but basically, if you study this out, it looks like God brought the animals to them. You know, I, as a kid, I always envisioned this 500-year-old man chasing things around with a net. Um, the Lord brought the animals to him, and it's not until after the flood in Genesis 9 where there is now a fear between animals and man. Most people believe up until this point that there still wasn't this. We know for a fact it's not until after the flood that men started eating the animals as meat. So there would not be a fear right now between these type of animals. So, And it looks like from Genesis chapter 7 that the Lord is the one that brought the animals to Noah. There are so many species, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. You have to remember that this is also a process that the Lord has been working out. So yes, there are many, many different species. Now the question kind of comes up, and we're getting now into areas that I'm not going to claim to be an expert on. I can only regurgitate to you what I have read and studied. Yes, there are many different types of species. Now, 5,000 years ago when this happened, what type of species were there? You know, as time goes on, we have five new breeds of dog every year. Okay, what was there 5,000 years ago? There may have been one mutt. I don't know. So, and also when it comes to this idea, so if we would say, think of all the dogs. There's hundreds, I don't even know, somebody correct me on this, maybe hundreds, thousands of breeds of dogs. I don't know. Maybe back then there wasn't. You know, some people say, well, what about the large animals? Everybody always talks about the elephants and the hippopotamuses. And I always say, stop a second for a think here. Okay, elephants and hippos. What else can you think of that are that big. Plus, who said they had to be full-grown hippos and elephants? Maybe they were just a nice little six-month-old couple of elephants and they were cute, like Dumbo. I don't know. The Lord brought them. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I firmly believe in what I teach is I believe dinosaurs and man were both created on day six. I believe dinosaurs and man coexisted. I believe the Bible backs that up. Some people say, well, look at the size of these dinosaurs. I agree. Who says they had to be full-grown dinosaurs? If I was in Noah's position... And I was responsible for collecting animals, and I don't believe he was. God brought them. I would not say I want to start over with 80-year-old hippos. 
I want to start over with one-year-old hippos. I'm not going to start over with 80-year-old dinosaurs. I'm going to take that cute little brontosaurus there that's young and has a lot of years in front of them. So I think there's a lot of practicality. Plus, if you're dealing with 100,000 square foot of space, you've got lots and lots and lots of room. Somebody figured this out, and I've heard this repeated for years. I don't know who originally said it. I believe it was, it was Haley from Haley's Bible Handbook. He says, if you take all the species of the world, and he figured it out, and I believe he said there was about 12,000 or something along that type of line. He says, if you average them out, they all come out to the average size of about a sheep, is what he said. And he, stop and you think about it. For every squirrel, there's an elephant. Okay, it comes down to about the size of a sheep. He goes, a sheep size on average you could fit that in 100,000 square foot without too much issue. But to kind of back up there, what, what Jeff was kind of saying here, let me find that passage real quick for you. Oh, I'm going to try to find it here real quick where it talks about the animals coming. It's in Genesis chapter 7 there. So we'll get to that here in a little bit because let me finish up chapter 6. But it does say in Genesis 7, the hint is it seems like the Lord brings the animal right there um, to them. So that's kind of the answer there. Anybody else got any other questions about the... Yeah. Carol. Do you think we need to think about, um, I was thinking about the verse in Matthew 7, 14, where the gate is narrow and the way is hard, and mm-hmm. the wide and those behind are few. Only eight people were saved. Yeah. I, I don't know how big the population was, but right. is that kind of how we need to think? Very few are going to... Yeah, and, and to kind of take what you said there about the gate being narrow and few find it, and, and to talk about what we talked about last year, if you remember correctly, in Genesis 5, there's 1,600 years. And most people believe that if you study out the genealogy of this, because people, Adam saw, I believe it was nine generations, after 1,600 years, the earth could literally have billions of people at this time. It's quite, quite possible. So eight people out of billions. If you go to just simple statistics, and I don't want to say that Jesus was being actually legalistic when he said this, go back to the parable of the sower and the seed. And the parable of the sower and the seed... He gave four different groups of people. Of those four groups of people, only one group was saved. So Jesus was hinting, and please don't take this as fact, that 25% maybe are saved. Then he said of that 25%, only one-third of that 25% really, really get it. I know we all want to think good, happy thoughts. There's five, six billion people in this world. My goodness, I really don't think that there's billions of people saved. I really just don't. So what you're kind of saying there, Carol, is eight out of billions. There's, I mean, stop and think about it. In this world we live in, do we really think that half the world is saved? No, probably not. It's, the gate is very narrow. It's very narrow. And it's not that it's hard to find the answer in Christ, because I believe Christ is easy to find. It's hard to accept the answer in Christ. I firmly believe, jump back to Noah's time, if there was Joe Schmo that said, Noah, I believe you. I believe that this flood I've never heard of is coming. I believe that this boat you're building, which I don't get, I believe in God, I believe the whole thing. I think the Bible would have been changed and said that there was nine souls saved. I really do believe that. But the gate is narrow. It really is. Brian. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah.
Right. Right. And that's a very good point, like we mentioned before, is that there's idea that it could have been a representation of each species there. Um, because you can get two animals, and I'll, and I'll share this really quick. And just to go back to the point that Jeff made, I was looking, I can't find the exact verse, but Genesis 6.20, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you. So right there is one of the verses we were talking about, the idea of them coming to you. But real quick story about this. Years ago when Don and I lived um, out in the country outside of Deschler, we all of a sudden had these beautiful barn cats that were born. And you may remember the story that I told you. is We had this family of cats, and there was four kittens born. Two of them were the typical barn cat, barn cats. The other two, I tell you and I promise you, they look just like Persians. Just like Persian kittens, this beautiful, long-haired, flat-faced Persians. Well, to make a long story short, we had one of our neighbors pop in. Now, we're the only house on a mile. Neighbor popped in saying, hey, have you happened to see a Persian? My purebred male Persian escaped from my house. He came over and fathered kittens at our house. We ended up eventually seeing him. So we had these half-purebred Persians. Now, the reason I bring this up is because here's ugly barn cat mom that met beautiful Persian dad, it must not have worked out, but ended up they got together, and, and two of the kittens were ugly barn cat kittens, and the other two kittens looked like Persians. Same parents. Same parents. I mean, seriously, you guys have seen families. Same parents, different looking kids. You know what I'm talking about. So my point is this, is like what Ryan is saying. Did God bring every type of dog that there's chihuahuas by Great Danes by this? I mean, sure, he could have. Were there even Chihuahuas and Great Danes there 6,000 years ago? My personal opinion is I don't think there probably were. It is important to note that God could have, space-wise, I want to stress this, space-wise, he could have brought anything he wanted. There's plenty of room, plenty of room on the ark. It's also quite possible that, as, as Ryan was mentioning too, that he could have brought a representation of each kind, and that if you just study it out, Thousands of years later, they can breed and have different type of animals. I should say different type of animals. Different type dogs producing dogs that look differently, etc. You understand what I'm trying to say there. So, there are two different thoughts on that. Anybody else have any other questions here about the practicality here? Kathy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. You know, Shimham and Jepeth repopulated the world. And if you look at the way the world looks now, over 5,000 years, you know, everybody looks a little differently. So there's no reason to think why the same thing couldn't happen. That's a great point there. Great point. So it's a little after 8, though. So I, there are adults back there with many little kids, and they're looking out at me, wondering when I'm going to be done. Any other final questions, comments here? Like I so said, I didn't know how far we were going to get. So we got over this, the practicality of the physicalness of the ark. We will pick it up next week in verse 17 where we start getting into actual things like that. So, yeah, Tina. In chapter 7? Okay. Verse 9 and 15 in chapter 7 also say that. And also verse 20 of chapter 6 there as well. All right. Let's pray and we'll let you guys go. Heavenly Father, good to be here tonight. And really what it comes down to is faith. Lord, you wrote it. We believe it. And with that idea, Lord, if you can... If you can keep a family safe through the flood, you can keep us safe in whatever we're facing now. So, Lord, just as you took care of Noah and his family, I pray you will take care of us. 
We trust you and go before all things, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys, have a good week and God bless.